It's July 31st, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's been a busy couple of two weeks. Um, I was in San Francisco recently for the Adobe pop-up store event where I did a couple of presentations and got to meet a couple of you listeners, which was great fun. Also, this past weekend, I was actually on Creative Live with Andy and Mikey of Lighten Up and Shoot. And as we speak, I am in the middle of participating in today's guest street photography workshop. So there's an abundance of stuff that's on my plate as well as all the uh, usual stuff that I'm up to. And uh, you can find out some of this stuff if you follow me on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, and now on Google+. Links to each can be found on the website. But uh, I'm excited about my interview with Eric Kim. I've been following his street photography blog and his YouTube videos for the last several months. And it's been really exciting to see how this young photographer has really been embracing this particular approach to photography and what's been happening recently in terms of just the, his presence in the greater photographic community. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to meet him in person yesterday and learning a lot about an approach to street photography that I myself have been practicing for a very long time. It reminds me that as photographers, no matter how long we've been doing this, we can always stand to learn something more, particularly from a photographer who may practice the same medium but doesn't in a very distinctly different way. I'm going to be writing about my experience on his workshop starting on Monday or Tuesday, and the link to that will be on my photo blog, the link to which is on the Candid Frame blog, but you can also find it by visiting it at altadinaphoto.com. But for right now, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Eric Kim. Well, Eric, welcome to The Candid Frame. I've been watching your videos on YouTube and following your, your writings on your blog, and I'm, I'm glad that we finally sat down and made the time to talk. Yeah, no, it's a great pleasure for myself, Beer and Nicks, and, you know, thanks for uh, reaching out to me. Well, I was watching your, your latest video, and actually this morning was a kind of a momentous day for you. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Both good and bad, but uh-huh. because of your great attitude, you're seeing it as an opportunity. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about what happened today and and, and the decision you made. <laughs> so long story short, I came into work. I was told I was being pulled into a meeting. I go to the meeting. I see the director of human resources and one of the executive presidents in the room. And I was thinking to myself, oh, crap, either <laughs> I'm getting laid off or fired one or the other. Fortunately, it was uh, I didn't I didn't get fired, but I got uh, laid off. So it was, it was kind of a, a good thing because at least I was able to get a severance bonus and, you know, have a little money tucked away. But essentially what happened today was uh, I lost my job. But at the same time, I kind of got a new job, which is uh, a full time street photographer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you've come to my attention is because you, you're a real passionate street photographer and you've been writing about it on your blog and, and you've been doing these these videos. Before we get into all of that, why don't you tell us how you got this passion for, for street photography? Because a lot of people get get the bug for photography, but you've mm-hmm. you've chosen a, a pretty specific genre. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to. Well, just to start off, interesting, um, compared to a lot of other people I know who are just very passionate 
passionate about photography. Most most of the people I know, they've been shooting since they're but the second they're born, you know, uh, ever since they're six or seven. I started a lot later, actually. I started when I was around 18 years old. I mean, I never was really interested in photography until I got my first point-and-shoot camera. I remember the first day I got it, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Just the fact that I'm able to take a moment of time, capture it and freeze it, just kind of remember forever. And I remember just having a very strong impression on me. The next two years of shooting photography, it was just kind of a personal journey. I tried to figure out what I really was passionate about taking photos because I took photos of everything, you know, I took photos of flowers, took photos of the landscapes, took photos of shadows, things like ground people. And I wasn't quite sure what my niche was. I remember this event very specifically is which really got me into street photography was I was on the bus and I saw this guy he had his he had the most incredible face and there's just something about it that in my heart it was just kind of like a burning sensation that told me that I have to take a photo of this guy and just the way that he looks so natural in his environment and something was on his mind that I just I knew I wanted to capture it but of course at the time you know I wasn't very comfortable about taking photos of strangers so I was my heart was just pounding my hands started getting sweaty I slowly brought the camera and tried to be sneaky about uh, took the photo there's a huge clack from the dslr i had and the guy just looked at me and my heart just froze but at the same time i looked back at my lcd screen and i knew that i got the image and i was like wow this was a thrill and i didn't know like quite what i did i uploaded it online and asked people what they thought about it. they said hey eric you're really good at that's a really good street photograph and i'm like what's that and just you know going on to google checking out Henri cartier brisson all the masters i just kind of knew that this is what i was born to shoot having the opportunity to look at great work like that and then going out and actually trying to get good at it is a huge learning curve because like you yes. mentioned getting past your anxiety and, and fear about making photographs of people is a big mm -hmm. is a big part of it so yes. um since you didn't receive any specific training and you kind of like just learned on the streets what did you find you had to do in order to be able to get past that fear and anxiety and, and shoot did you just just go out and do it or or what or did you develop did you find that a particular approach really worked for you yeah that's that's a great question um it's actually very interesting that <laughs> until maybe a year or two ago, I didn't know, but a lot of people in my family were actually photographers. I have my, my late grandfather who, you know, passed away when I was only two years old. This guy was incredibly passionate about photography. In the 1950s, he bought an old Contex 3A rangefinder, which I heard from my grandmother cost as much as a brand new car at the time. You know, he just took photos obsessively and he was just very, very passionate about it. I soon also found out that my uncle was an old professional photographer. He was very passionate about photography, which brought to mind that my mother was also very passionate about photography. You know, just kind of from the get-go, I think that, you know, I just kind of had this, this genetic ability to take somewhat decent looking photos at the end of the day you know even though i had this this ability to take photographs i mean it just you know it was just kind of like you know nike just going out and doing it bringing my camera with me everywhere i went the first year i had my camera uh my first dslr i probably shot on average like 500 photos a day and i was just obsessive about it i took a lot of good photos i took a lot more terrible photos and just kind of over time i was able to you know develop my eye from the photos i'm taking but also draw inspiration from like you uh you mentioned the old street photography masters when you started going out there part of the challenge is with street photography is just yes. the fact that it's complete randomness. I mean, there's seeming chaos everywhere. And how did you start developing an eye for those things that you felt would be a good photograph? Was it primarily sort of a gut reaction for you? And, and how long would you say it kind of took you to be fairly consistent in terms of being able to produce a good image? I heard this really good quote on the internet. It's from a street photographer named Thomas Loitard. He actually got from someone else. <laughs> I forgot their name, but his quote was was luck is when preparation meets opportunity 
I think that quote pretty much sums up street photography. I mean, there's some people who just say, oh yeah, you know, if you're a street photographer, you're just out, you're lucky, you see the right person the right way. But at the same time, you know, that is that is true to a certain extent. You can't command a certain person to be in a certain location. But, you know, it's, it's all about the preparation. It's about knowing your gear, knowing what technical settings to use. Having the, the courage to actually go up and take photos of someone, just myself as a, a, street, a street photographer, when I first got started, I mean, honestly, my biggest challenge was not so much capturing the images, but rather just having the guts to really go up to a stranger and take the photos in terms of creating consistent, good photographs. Part of it is that, you know, I have developed an eye for composition and I'm pretty comfortable going in front of strangers and taking photos really, really close to them. But another huge part that a lot of people overlook is, you know, it's all about editing your work. It's all about really only showing your best work because I see a lot of street photographers out there who they show okay shots consistently, but, and you know, every once in a while, I see a really, really good shot. And, you know, those people would be far better if they're only to show the cream of the crop. Yeah. How would you define street photography? Because if you look at the great street photographers like Gary Winogrand or Joe Meyerowitz or the host of, of different people, they don't really all produce the same kind of images. Um, yes. They're all, they all work on the street, but you can't really identify a particular style that's sort of consistent throughout. So for you, how do you define street photography and how do you define what you do specifically? If I could define street photography in one sentence, it would be capturing the beauty and the mundane. Mm. I think that there's a ton of <laughs> definitions of street photography on the web. Everyone seems to have their own opinion whether, you know, does it have to include people? Does it not have to include people? Does it literally have to be in a street? Can I take street photographs at a beach? Asking questions whether, you know, you have to ask for permission you shouldn't ask for permission i mean these are all just kind of like the very nitty-gritty details but you know it's really about capturing moments of everyday life that you know the average person will just dismiss or you know oversee like you know i'm walking on the street and i see an old grandmother holding the hand of her young grandson or the couple uh, in the corner of a park going in for an uh, embrace or a kiss i mean it's just capturing moments and telling stories i think is the most important part of street photography so yeah just to sum up your question it's uh, street photography is about capturing the beauty and the mundane. Well, it's been interesting in, in the short time that I've been following you. It seems like you've been exploring a lot and experimenting a lot with street yes. photography because I take yes. a look at some of the earlier work and that is sort of you're exploring the sort of the environment and the subject mm -hmm. itself may not be the dominant element in the frame, but they, they play yes. a role. They're sort of like a compositional element in the entire frame. Mm -hmm. And then recently you've been doing stuff where people are really the forefront of the image in and the scene is sort of secondary, particularly the mm -hmm. stuff that you've been doing with Flash. Yes. And there, it's the feeling is not so much of a separation between the photographer and the subject. There's a real sort of abrupt, mm -hmm. um, for lack of a better word, sort of invasion of space. Mm -hmm. Some would, some people would say confrontational. Yes. Which is markedly different from some of the earlier work that I've seen there. Why don't you talk about those two different styles and approaches and why the latest approach that you you've been using is is so interesting to you well actually i really appreciate that uh you mentioned that beer next because i have noticed the same with my photography you know if you look at my earlier works it was you know i was more focused on architecture geometry juxtaposition um really kind of like the analogy of the actor in the stage how a person in my frame is going to be interacting with his or her environment that was kind of like how i defined my style for probably like two years and over time you know i started to shoot more and more and i think part of it was the environmental change I had. After I graduated college, I started shooting street photography, mostly during my lunch breaks. I, I used to work in Santa Monica, the third street promenade. Shooting there was, I saw the same street 
over and over. So there was no possible way I could juxtapose <laughs> a different person in a different environment because I was just so used to all the architecture there. But what really drew me into it was the people. I could see the same building in Santa Monica more than once, but I, I never saw the same person more than once or saw several people, but for the majority, everyone else was different. Also, another part of it that changed me was I started to kind of get bored of my older type of street photography. It, it didn't interest me anymore. And being a sociology major, I'm really interested in you know human interaction and kind of the human condition and getting really, really close to people. It's I had to change from my style from being kind of more of a voyeur and more of a someone who's just kind of disconnected from the scene to actually like an active participant. Oftentimes when I'm shooting people, even with flash, after I take the photo, I usually just look at them, smile, say hi, thanks for the photo. I don't ask for permission, but I still get really close to my subjects, get intimate with them. And I feel so much more connected with the people I shoot. It's really interesting that you're working primarily with wide to normal focal lengths, it, it looks to me. And you're literally, you know, an arm's length from some of these people, maybe, maybe two arms length. <laughs> and that really forces the viewer to get into a real proximity with the yes. subject through the through the photograph. Yes. Um, how do you deal with people getting mad at you? And how, how often do people get angry with you or or react negatively to you making a making a photograph of them? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, no, that's um, that's definitely a very valid question. Um, I think it's the biggest people uh, the biggest thing that actually deters people from shooting street photography because naturally it's it kind of makes sense. You know, if a, a stranger got really close to you, took their photo, of course, you know, you would think that people would get upset, be confrontational shove you, yell at you, throw your camera to the ground or whatever. Just to get some rough statistics, I mean, I've been shooting street photography really, really close to people, oftentimes so close that I can't focus any closer. Out of all these instances, even when I use flash or didn't use flash, I've only been shoved once. I've never been cursed out. No one's ever really yelled at me. It's funny, it seems like, you know, when I'm shooting street photography really, really close to people, most people either A, don't seem to mind, B, don't even notice. And out of the people who notice me i mean i always joke about this but you know being asian and going out taking photos of strangers i mean they just probably think i'm just some weird asian tourist and <laughs> most people they really just they don't they don't mind um a lot of people when they take photos of them really really close even with a flash a lot of people will say thank you if you go out of your way to take a photo of someone i mean you're kind of telling the person there's something interesting thing about themselves that you would actually take a photo of them so a lot of people are honored yesterday i went out to hollywood at night to shoot street photography with a flash frankly speaking in the beginning i was a little worried because because there are some crazies in Hollywood, but out of the majority of the people I shot, people love getting shoot, shot with a flash because you know it's, it's Hollywood. They think they, <laughs> they think they want to become a star, and you know I actually had a, you know, some conversation with the people afterwards, and you know people gave me their business cards, and I would say out of all the street photography I shoot on a given day, only one percent of the people ever really make a big deal out of it. And out of those uh, instances, the worst thing that usually happens to you is that you just have to delete their photo. But other than that, you know it's it's very interesting. I think. I suggest your uh, your listeners to just go out and try it and see what actually happens because oftentimes what we predict is not what always happens. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I was recently in France as, as you were. Yes. And, oh, I was, and I was talking to someone about uh, the difference in terms of approaching people in the States and approaching people there. Yes. And here it seems like people like the attention to some degree. Yes. They like being yes. the focus of attention. Mm -hmm. And in France, at least in Paris, yes. that really isn't the case. Yes. So you photographed in Korea, you photographed in Europe. How different do you find the experience of doing street shooting, particularly 
majority of people abroad as compared to the United States? Is it easier here? Is it more difficult here? Does the location really make much of a difference at all? Thinking about it, I would say, generally speaking, I would say it's more similar than dissimilar. But still thinking about it, I'll just bring us an example. So a little bit less than a year ago, I was invited to teach a street photography workshop in Beirut, Lebanon. And before I went, everyone told me, it's like, oh my God, you know, you're going to Lebanon. It's going to be dangerous. People are going to shoot you. They might kidnap you. There's terrorists, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I just, I'm like, you know what? That's your preconception. I'm just going to go there and do my thing. People in Lebanon, especially in Beirut, they love getting their photos taken. They find it like a real honor. They actually, you know, a lot of them smile, pose for you. They like getting photographed. Compared to Paris, <laughs> people in Paris, I think Parisians, they're, you know, they're, they stay a little bit more to themselves. So they don't like it when you take photos of them as much. If you look at some of my photos from Paris, which I actually decided to upload, which is actually the minority. People, some people, you know, look really annoyed or really like bothered or frustrated. But even though they give you kind of some like a little bit weird looks, I would say the percentage of people who actually approach me in a negative way is not different anywhere from, you know, Lebanon, from, and then people mention the UK because, you know, they have a really strict photography laws there too. I mean, even people in the UK, I mean, no, I would say no one country is more belligerent and more really against photography. I mean, people might react differently to the camera, but in terms of the, the way people have interacted with me or just been really upset at me, I really can't see a difference so much uh, anywhere I shot in the world compared to the US or anywhere else. Mm. You're building a quite a community of photographers who either mm -hmm. practice street photography or who are just interested in it. Yes. Tell us about how the whole blog started and how that's helped you develop as a as a photographer. The the blog started off as some weird kooky dream that I never thought would amount to anything. I was at UCLA, really passionate about photography. I actually started the, the photography club at UCLA, which is funny. You would think that there would be a photography club there, but alas, there wasn't. I've always wanted to kind of share my insights and knowledge about street photography because when I started shooting street photography, I had, you know, a lot of the basic questions. What kind of camera do I use? How do I approach strangers and take photos of them? How would they react? If they were to react to me, how would I respond? I had all these burning questions inside me. And I, you know, I, I searched around a lot on Google. No one really had any good answers. I mean, I found a lot of street photographers and I saw a lot of good work, but no one really had a definite how-to guide almost to street photography. And I'm like thinking to myself, hey, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm sure a lot of people out there have the same questions I do. Why not start a blog? And, you know, I had the idea for around a year, um, but I was still in school and too busy to start a blog. And, you know, the second I graduated, I had a lot more free time on my hands. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just going to stop this blog and see how it goes. It really was a huge uh, learning process for me. I mean, I just started it. I didn't really know what I was doing. But over time, you know, I just kind of got in the groove, tried to be as helpful and creating value for the people in my community. And every time before I create a blog post, I just try to disconnect myself from the whole scene and just think to myself, if this was me maybe two years ago, would I find this interesting? Would I find it useful? And I kind of create my content based on that. If anyone from my community is listening to this, I really love my community a lot. Uh, they love me a lot. <laughs> People don't throw around the word love a lot, but you know, to me, it's, you know, it's, it's all about the community. I mean, being, especially being a sociology major, I couldn't have got where I am right now if it wasn't for all my followers telling their friends about my blog, them giving me the encouragement, the advice, everything. And I'm in this position where, you know, I got a, I got a pretty solid following. Now it's kind of like a, a responsibility. I was talking with a street photographer named Charlie Kirk, who's um, highly influenced my work. He does street photography in Japan with the flash. He's also uh, highly influenced by Bruce Gilden, Mark Cohen, and a few others. You know, he told me, he's like, Hey, you know, Eric, you have this, the street photography blog. It's a pretty niche subject. Um, you're probably one of the most read blogs on the web regarding street photography. He didn't say I was doing a bad job or anything, but I said, Eric, you know, just realize that when you're showing work, you got to show really, really good work. You had to make really, really good high quality articles. And it's kind of like your duty almost thinking about what I'm just trying to do is just, you know, 
essentially help people in the end. As a photographer too, now that a lot of people have their eyes on me, I don't want to talk about shoot photography and create mediocre work. I want to go out, create really amazing, inspirational work, and hopefully that could help out um, the rest of the community. You've been doing these workshops, not just here in the States, but abroad. How did that start happening? Did people start asking you to teach workshops and then it just started happening? <laughs> so the craziest uh, story. So kind of going back to the Lebanon example. So I wrote a blog post. It was titled 101 Things I Learned About Street Photography. One day it just kind of came to my head. Like, you know, I, I love surfing the web. I'm, um, I'm addicted to blogs. And whenever I read blog posts about 100 how to do something or 100 I learned how to do something, it was, I always found it really inspirational. And I actually think that the original blog post I read was from uh, Darren Rose from the Digital Photography School. He wrote 100 Things I Learned About Photography. And I said, great, why not? I just copy that except everything I learned about street photography. So, you know, I took about a full day, just came up with all these ideas, published it. I didn't expect anything out of it, but it just went viral overnight. A lot of people shared it on Facebook, Twitter. I, I think it got like 300 likes, like 400 re retweets. And it just, it just kind of spread like wildfire. And somehow, somewhere, it just kept traveling, traveling, traveling until halfway across the globe where it got into the hands of Lorena Tui, who is um, a photography program co coordinator with this. She used to work at this organization called Spread Minds, um, which, you know, offer photography tutorials and workshops and other services. And she contacted me saying, hey, Eric, you know, I read your blog post. Would you be interested in doing a street photography workshop in Lebanon? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, they, they invited me, but they were able to, you know, pay me a little bit to do the workshop. But uh, they, uh, they said, oh, unfortunately, we don't have the funds. We can't pay, pay for your plane ticket. And I'm like, oh, this really sucks because um, I was still pretty broke at the time. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not able to, to do it. This is where I had to really give credit to uh, my manager, my girlfriend, uh, Cindy, who really encouraged me to say, hey, you know, Eric, you have this blog. Why don't you just ask people to help donate? They might donate. I'm like, ah, oh, who's going to donate to me? Like... <laughs> this random guy on the internet to go to this uh to do you know the street photography workshop in lebanon she was like no eric you know you should really believe in yourself you could you can make this happen and i'm like you know what I'll, I'll just kind of go for it so you know i wrote a blog post i recorded a video myself just kind of asking people to help me uh, achieve this dream i had the response i got was truly overwhelming i can't every time i think about it it's it's, it's quite surreal i remember going to sleep one night i wake up the next morning i had like 300 dollars worth of paypal donations like literally overnight i'm like oh my god these people don't even know me and I don't even know them that well and they're donating you know their hard-earned money to help help me with a dream you know on top of that um, there's a street photographer I mentioned him earlier in the interview his name is Thomas Leutard he's a street photographer of Switzerland and he actually you know gen very very generously was able to, he he offered me hey I'll whatever the remainder of your your plane ticket is I'll pay for it so he ended up sending you didn't even know me I, I think I google chatted with him briefly and he sent me like six hundred dollars to my PayPal account I'm like oh my god this is <laughs> beyond me and so he ended up actually being my guest speaker and I flew to Lebanon did a two day workshop there um, the photography community there is people who don't know is they have a phenomenal photography community and I did the workshop there it felt very natural it felt it was something I really enjoyed and after that um, I just been trying to contact the right people doing street photography workshops and you know now that I'm a full time street photographer I'm hoping to do a lot more of them people who are listening from LA who might be interested I'm actually doing a, a street photography workshop August uh, 20 to the 28th so if you're interested you could email me at ericamphotography at gmail.com so yeah that's my crazy story with the workshops at least <laughs> wow that's that's really fascinating it's yeah. and it's just amazing that just putting stuff out there you never know what, what's yeah. going to happen a lot of people don't choose it because they you know like you initially are, are yes. feeling like well nothing's going to happen but you know the universe has a way of surprising you when you just make just a little effort which is way cool the internet is a crazy place <laughs> and I mean this this 
one quote that really inspired me, and I, I hope it inspires your, your readers or your listeners too. Um, I was reading The Alchemist. There's this quote is, you know, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but if you pursue your life's treasure, the universe conspires in your favor. And I, mm. I think that was a perfect example. You know, I had this crazy dream. I really, really... It was, it was kind of almost like I felt like it was my destiny I had to do it you know I just kind of went for it God whatever higher being just really looked out for me and just kind of made it happen I know that you recently were talking about uh, Leica lent you an M9 uh, oh, yeah. for you for you to, to shoot <laughs> with fun. which is like yes. Leicas are always considered like the premier camera to use for street photography but, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. but you know you had to send it back so oh yeah no, um, that, I, was, I, was, I was crying a little bit when I had to send it back yeah. but let's talk a little bit about the equipment that you do use for, mu- yes. for much of your, your work because I know people are particularly curious in terms of that because yes. I know that one of the challenges of doing street photography even with some of these advanced DSLRs is yes, it's yes. just the issue with focus the focus can mm-hmm, be yes. fast but for street photography, it's often not fast enough. Mm-hmm. So talk to yes, me about yes. the equipment that you use. And specifically, let's talk about focus. Do you find that you're pre-setting the focus or are you depending on the autofocus of your camera or not? Okay, yeah. No, I'll, I'll tell you all the secrets right now. <laughs> or I can't call them secrets because I think I've already shared them with my followers. But um, I've over the last um, you know few months, um, I have a friend named uh, Chris Gamp that, uh, who runs uh, the photoblographer.com. Fo- the he does uh, reviews about professional photography gear. He's actually one of the lead writers at bnhphoto.com. And so the folks over at BNH Photo have been actually very generous in lending me equipment. You know, I've shot with um, the Rico GR3. Um, Olympus actually sent me an Olympus EP2. I actually, you know, got sent a Leica X1, not through Leica, but through a connection through Chris. You know, my main camera right now is like Canon 5D DSLR and a Canon 35mm F2 lens. Like you mentioned, <laughs> I shot with the Leica M9, which is pretty much the quote-unquote holy grail of all cameras out there. It's really interesting. All the cameras that I've used, they all really have their own pros and weaknesses. You can't, you really can't say there's, uh, I, I've done a blog post about this, but you really can't say there's the bet, the quote, quote, best camera for street photography because every camera has its strengths, its limitations. Um, just for example, I'm using my, um, my DSLR right now. It's the great things about a DSLR is that, um, you know, interchangeable lenses, the high ISO is great. Image quality is great. Autofocus is relatively fast, but you know, of course the, the cons is, this is loud. It's kind of big, conspicuous, you know, the, something like a Leica, it's, it's fantastic because, you know, not only does it have great image quality, it's quiet, it's compact, but, you know, some of the downsides is that, you know, everything's fully manual. You only have manual focus. I don't find that an issue, but some people might. Um, some of the settings you might have to use are far different. And of course, the price and same thing with point and shoots. They're, they're great because they're really, really small, really, really compact. No one really notices them at all, but sometimes you have problems with the focusing. My advice with um, using focus, so like you mentioned, even though autofocus on a lot of cameras out there are really, really fast, I never depend on auto to shoot shoot photography, especially when my subjects are really close or moving all the time. So what I literally do is I always keep my aperture stop down, let's say from f8 to f16. I mean, the, if you keep it f16, the better because you have a higher uh, depth of field. The second thing I do is I kind of determine my focusing distance. So about roughly how far am I from my subjects when I'm taking their photos and it's usually around 1.2 meters or less but I think 1.2 meters is a pretty good standing po- uh, starting point and after that so you know I'll set into manual focus I'll set pre-focusing distance to 1.2 meters keep my aperture to f8 to f16 if it's brighter you know it's f16 if it's a little dark f8 and with ISO this is where a lot of people 
don't agree with me, but I think this is the best policy is that just keeping your ISO really, really high to the point that your shutter speed is faster than 320ths of a second. That's generally how fast you need to be if you're moving, capturing a moving subject. You know, a lot of times, even though it's daylight and I'm shooting the shade, uh, there's lots of times I'll be shooting ISO 1600 or even 3200 and people are like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? It has so much noise and it looks terrible. And I, I'm I'm part of the camp that I don't really like crystal crisp without you know any kind of grain or noise. I, I actually feel that the grain and the the high ISO qualities actually adds to image. It makes it feel more raw, urban, uh, gritty. And I mean, especially if you're shooting with a DSLR, which most people out there are shooting with, the high ISO just looks fantastic. 1600, no problem. So yeah, so that's what I do. Just to recap, keep my aperture stop down as low as I can, preferably f16. Keep my uh, shutter speed above 320 a second. On a bright sunny day, it'll usually be around like. ISO 400 starts getting a little shadier in the shade like ISO 800 starts getting really dark or more dark ISO 1600 gets even darker <laughs> ISO 3200 and then anything after that I'll just continue to open up the aperture to make sure I get the maximum depth of field as I can so when I'm taking photos I don't even have to spend time autofocusing because I know that every photo I'll take at a certain distance or roughly about the same distance is going to be in focus. Mm. You shoot both in color and in black and white. I mean, you shoot yes. in color, but you convert a good number of images to black and white. That's true. Talk about the choice to convert the images to black and white. I mean, why do you think that you tend to favor black and white imagery for street photography, despite the fact that you're creating the originals in color? Nowadays with my street photography, I'm very interested in creating kind of more surrealistic street photography images. I think the thing that is really fascinating about black and white is you don't see the world in black and white. So, you know, when you're taking a photo and you convert into black and white or you shoot in black and white, whatever, you kind of create an image that doesn't look like reality. It looks like something else. For at least most of the subjects I shoot, color is not really the defining element of the image. The only, the only typical time I keep my images in color are the photos, which the color really makes or breaks the image. Like, you know, for example, I was in Paris and I think almost all my photos that I, I chose were in black and white, but except one was in color. It was a, a woman kind of walking through the streets. It's kind of a windy day and she's clutching her handbag in her left arm and she's just kind of looking off up into the clouds and breeze goes through her radiant red hair and you see some green trees behind her and the rest of the image is pretty subtle. And that's, I, I look at that hair, I'm like, oh my God, I cannot convert this hair into black and white. This is the image, the color of her hair. Those are, that's an instance where I'll keep a photo in color, but for most everything else, just the black and white medium, it just it really fascinates me because, you know, not only are you creating kind of like this alternate reality, but also you kind of get that sense of nostalgia of thinking about the past, those great street photography masters. And uh, when I was actually at the Leica convention, I talked with this street photographer who works with Leica. His name is Brett. He showed me a way or he he suggested that, you know, even when I'm shooting my raw images, I set the auto, the, the review screen and my LCD screen to black and white. So I'm always seeing in black and white. And, you know, I was first a little skeptical because I'm I used to always shoot in color I look at the images color and go home and decide it's black and white but now it's I'm really seeing the world in black and white and unless I remember specifically if something was more interesting color um I'll use a convert into color but now my heart is uh in black and white one of the cool things you did recently while you had the M9 is that you got a, one of those little GoPro cameras and, uh, and yes, mounted yes. it on top of there oh, oh, and yeah, people yeah. actually got to see uh -huh. you shooting virtually yeah. through your through your <laughs> eye yeah it was very fascinating to see to see that because it's this perspective <laughs> that you never ever get yes, so yes. 
tell us about the reaction to that. I'll have a link on the on the blog so people can watch that video. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's a real fascinating opportunity <laughs> to see somebody at work. Yeah. But uh, what what surprised you about what you saw when you reviewed it later, and what was the reaction you got from people? It's, it's so funny. Like this whole crazy idea of mounting a GoPro to the com- uh, top of my camera and recording it was just one of these other crazy ideas that I had, and I'm like, man, I'm never gonna do this, but it'd be hilarious if someone else did. And it just happened that one day I got a hundred dollar gift card to Best Buy, and I'm like, oh, what 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 the hell am I gonna buy at Best Buy? I never go to Best Buy, and I already have most of the cameras I need. A uh, hundred dollars can't buy much. And I was thinking, I'm like you know what? I've always wanted to get that GoPro, but it was around $200, which was kind of beyond my spending limit in terms of what I was comfortable in terms of experimentation. You know, I had a $100 gift card there. So I'm like, uh, you know, I apply a $100 gift card, buy it for $100, not too bad. So, you know, I just I just took it, literally stuck it on top of the Leica M9, which is fantastic because most cameras are curved on top, which don't allow you to actually mount a flat mounting thing. So, you know, I just kind of went out um, <laughs> and I, I really didn't think anything of it. I was just, just, I was at my apartment, I got the GoPro and I was really excited. I did, and I'm like, hey, I'm just going to make a, a video to screw around. I'm just going to go around my neighborhood and take photos. You know, I'm just kind of walking around. It was, it was pretty hilarious because the, the GoPro actually had a red blinking light that obviously shows is recording. So, you know, I went out, took photos. People didn't react so much more differently that the, the video was um, recording. I had a huge GoPro, but of course it made me a lot more conspicuous. And you know, the, the reactions I got were pretty typical, except there's one guy who shoved his hand in my face, which doesn't usually happen recent, uh, much frequently, but a lot of people just kind of like, they're just kind of a little startled, a little confused. I took a photo of an old man just reading a newspaper at Starbucks, got really close to him and he didn't even mind. And also I think the, the interesting thing for your, your followers to consider is that the GoPro has an extremely, extremely wide angle lens. It's pretty much a fisheye. So when it looked like I got close to my subjects in the video, in reality, I was probably two or three steps closer to them. I uploaded online. I'm like, I didn't actually upload in like the worst quality. I didn't think uh, anything was going to happen out of it. Digital Photography School, Petapixel, a lot of other sites out there picked it up and just went viral online. And, you know, getting, I think the first video I made got like 30,000 views on YouTube. I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty crazy. And it started a really great debate on the internet because people were like, oh, look at this Air Kim guy. This guy's like an asshole. He's just going in front of people <laughs> without their permission, taking their photos. This guy's so disrespectful. Who does this guy think he is? When I'm shooting street photography, I always ask for permission, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, even though I <laughs> I probably that day, I probably garnered more haters than followers. But, you know, it, it did create a really great um, public discussion about whether you should ask for street photography when you're shooting public. And, you know, then a lot of people said, you know, well, because all these people, they obviously don't want to get their photos uh, taken of them. And so I actually made another video of me sticking my... Sorry if I jumped the gun, but I took, I took another video of me taking my um, Android smartphone, taking the video camera, sticking it through the Leica M9 viewfinder, literally, and give people exactly what I saw through the camera. And I made like a 10 minute video of me shooting on the promenade. And if you watch the video, I mean, people are really friendly. They, they really don't mind me taking their photos. And most people are smiling very friendly and you know people oh yeah you know if you did this in south central if you did this in um, the uk if you did somewhere else in the world people won't be as friendly but honestly people i mean i i don't think people have enough faith in humanity i mean people are usually really really kind and and just the resulting images were not the greatest images because i'm of course holding this very complicated equipment in my hands which kind of deters me from taking great photos but i think it really gave people and showed people that you know shooting street photography in the streets most people don't seem to mind that much i mean after 10 minutes of shooting only one person just said hey what are you doing it was actually an asian woman and i stopped and i'm like oh you know i'm just a tourist i'm just taking photos and she's like oh okay and she just walked away but other than that nobody stopped me no one really made a big deal and it was a very uh, great experience i love street photography and i think it's it, when people think that oh you're you're an a hole 
you know, for doing yeah. that kind of work. I mean, you're, you're making a photograph of someone not out of disrespect, but there's something mm-hmm. that you find intriguing about them. There's something oh, yeah. you oh, find yeah. interesting. So, yeah. you know, in, in a way, it's sort of like honoring the person saying, I find mm-hmm. you interesting enough that I want to record mm-hmm. you and make an image of you because I think oh, yeah. there's something beautiful and, and fascinating about you. So but a lot of people don't get that. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's not important that they do get it, particularly if you're interested in doing mm-hmm. this kind of work because you can't get yeah. caught up with the fact that someone's going to think that you're a jerk or not understand <laughs> it. I mean, if you're driven yeah. to do it, you just have to do it. You know, people are like, oh, you're invading their privacy. You're, you know, being such an asshole. You're like, who do you think you are? I, I, I'll use a quote from uh, one of my favorite street photographers, Bruce Gilden. You know, if you've seen his video on YouTube, he's just he's just like a magnum photographer, over 60 years old, really, really famous for getting really, really close to the subjects. Like, he probably gets like five steps closer than I do. He uses like, I think he uses like a 21 millimeter and uses flash. A lot of people, when they see his style, they're like, wow, this guy's a dick. Like, look at what this guy's doing. It's so invasive, blah, 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 blah. And if you look at him in his interviews, he says, you know, the people are my friends. I see something interesting thing about them. I I mean, no no disrespect. And even when I was at the Leica convention uh, in Paris, I, I <laughs> had the once in a lifetime opportunity to actually meet and talk to Bruce Gilden about his street photography. And, you know, his attitude towards the subject, his very, even on the outside, it may seem like his invasive and disrespecting them. He talks about his subjects very sincerely. You know, he he told me, he's like, you know, I mean, no disrespect, you know, like the, the people I try to capture, you know, I see, find something fascinating about them. I want to share this kind of beauty I capture with them about the world. And, and you know, one of the misconceptions about Bruce Gilden is that he only does flash street photography, but that's totally not true. He does, he's done a ton of other work. Um, if you look at one of his uh, photo essays, Picnic with Sergi, he you know, he doesn't use any flash at all and it's more of an intimate look but yeah like the, the people I shoot you know they're my friends uh, I, I find something fascinating about them I want to get closer to them I want to understand what they're going through what's going through their mind uh, the struggles the stresses in their lives and you know almost be their friend <laughs> yeah well the last question I always ask is I ask a photographer to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore oh, yes. and it can be anyone uh, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered so who would that one person be and why only one person huh yeah just one so originally i was gonna mention uh charlie kirk who has two cute dogs on Flickr. um but this guy's already famous enough well this guy's already pretty famous too but this one street photographer i've been following on Flickr. his name is uh dirty harry i think dirty harry actually has three or four r's in harry but if you just google him you could probably find him just you know dirty harry Flickr. and this guy also shoots street photography with a flash but this guy he creates some really really phenomenally absurdly good images which he he creates his own reality this is what interests me more is that you know some uh, i think the street photography purist is that you know you cannot alter the scene you, you can only capture what you see but then then that, that doesn't make sense because even photography itself you're you're framing a certain scene you decide to keep certain things in certain things out but he's he shoots street photography with his flash and he shoots at really really interesting angles and not only that but he has some really really good technical skills that a lot of people are very perplexed i'll, I'll give an example there's this photo he took there's a cat just sitting on a porch and then half blurred ghostly looking image of a woman with cat ears from that cat on top of her head and it's technically it's a very it's a very difficult image to create and everyone on Flickr and the internet is like how did this how did Dirty Harry create this image and no one really seems to know and mm. I'm actually going to interview him on my street photography blog uh, within the next few weeks so if you guys are, you're interested followers are interested maybe <laughs> he can find some more um 
you we could find more about his style and how he shoots but yeah definitely recommend uh dirty harry see him on Flickr. i mean the guy already has a ton of followers but really really phenomenal and fascinating work and anyone especially who's interested in flash street photography should definitely um check out his work and where can people find out more about you your workshops your photography your blog where, where's, where's the best place to go all right time for me to pin myself out ready guys <laughs> fire away uh first things first if you guys are interested in a street photography workshop to clarify i'm teaching an introductory street photography course in los angeles uh specifically in hollywood um my next workshop is going to be at the end of august the last weekend of august which is august 27th to the 28th which are saturday and sundays and this is going to be more of an intermediate course targeted towards people who you know already have their feet wet with street photography but kind of want to learn more techniques and i've got a lot of other street photography workshops queued up no uh decisive plans yet but if you're interested in the street photography workshop please shoot me an email at ericimphotography at gmail.com that's eric with a c not a k <laughs> And if you want to find out more about my my blog, my work, go to my blog. It's ericimphotography.com slash blog. You want to see more of my work and go to ericimphotography.com. You know, you want to join the conversation, like me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash ericimphotography. Twitter, twitter.com slash ericimphoto. Flickr, just Google me, Flickr, ericim, or you can find the link through my blog. Yeah, I think that's about it. You're covered, man. You're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, you, you guys can add me on Google Plus now too. It's another social media site I have to uh, deal with. <laughs> I just want to thank you again for sh uh, for being on the show. And I really wish you every imaginable piece of luck and well wish with the coming year. I think it's going to be an exciting year for you. And I'm looking forward to see where, where you go. So uh, thanks again. No, Iberia Next, uh, the pleasure is really mine. I'm, I've seen a lot of the other great uh, features you've had on your blog. And um, being featured is, you know, a huge pleasure for me. You're a great interviewer. You asked me just the right questions. Well, take care. All right, take care. Thanks again for joining me. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. And if you are interested in following me in the social networks on the interwebs, you can follow me on Flickr, Twitter, Facebook, and now Google+. Links to most of these can be found on the website. The editor for this episode is one of my favorite people in San Francisco, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And this is Ibarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com